Welcome to The Stack. I'm Josh, and I'm joined by my co-host Andy. The Stack is a podcast dedicated to all the little stacks that add up to the big one. We talk computing, finance, books, and ideas. You'll frequently hear us discussing Urbit, a personal server and digital land, and a platform for us to talk about all the other things that interest us, like blockchain, governance, architecture, art, and designing systems that are beautiful and lasting. This week, we review our election predictions, talk about the challenges of governance for a country of nearly 400 million people, and discuss electoral fraud allegations and the possibility of voting on the blockchain. Finally, we talk Urbit and how its governance compares to the expectations of U.S. citizens for theirs. Let's start talking about the election and the and the alleged fraud situation. Right. Well, I think I think we need to start by grading our predictions. Um, oh, right. I, right, I don't right. know if we need. I don't know if we need to go back to the tape. Um, but you I, know, I I, I'm actually gonna <laughs> gonna I'm gonna call the push um, and just say that uh, at least so far there's no reason to say that we were wrong. Um, you know because. Questions are up in the air. I think that for both of us, maybe we we assumed just strong stronger in the upper Midwest, perhaps. But at this point, we really don't know what the results are or were. Um, you know, and so I think for now we don't need to uh, need to say anything about whether we were right or wrong. Well, I will say this. Um, I also uh, said that the um, how can I say this politely? I said that the numbers in the New York Times um, about Wisconsin, because they had Wisconsin for Biden up 11, 11 percentage points. And I, right. I said pretty pretty strongly that that sounded like uh, nonsense to me. And I think, yeah. that, I think that that prediction, if we call it a prediction, but I, I think that that statement has proved true. I mean, what, was a, what, what do we say right now? That it's a slight win for slight win for biden if we if we say that well yeah i mean if Wisconsin if you numbers? if you count yeah i think he he's up by twenty thousand. um you know and there are questions about uh you know the integrity uh of that certainly in the milwaukee area but you know certainly certainly not an 11 percent blowout you know and it's 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 curious i mean you know and i think that this is this is ripe for a lot of you know data analysis because you have like culturally similar areas to these competitive states say like upstate new york which is you know obviously very similar to michigan um pennsylvania perhaps wisconsin and ohio and you had you know significant improvement in trump's numbers there or you know i mean like uh, not the same kind of improvement for biden compared to say obama um eight years ago and uh you know it's not seen in these uncompetitive areas but he got these massive boosts in urban areas conveniently in the um states that were competitive so wisconsin pennsylvania georgia you know, so so I think these these are the things that data scientists will, if they're brave enough, I guess, I think, be able to find some pretty interesting stuff to really analyze. Does this make sense? Um, you know, I'll be perfectly honest. I mean, I think if you go back to the 2000 election and and look at Florida and the votes there, the the plain intention of the majority of voters there was to elect Al Gore. Um, you know, and if you look at kind of the misvotes and the undervotes and everything, then, you know, you, you kind of have to come to that conclusion. And, you know, I can't say that the Supreme Court decided it wrongly. I mean, these are, you know, competitive um, sort of, you know, complicated issues. But I think I think in this case, too, you would see the same sort of thing, you know, that the, the plain intention um, may be different from uh, what is actually recorded um, so far, at least uh, in the vote. Yeah, so this this is actually an interesting. I hopefully I can segue into this. At least in recent memory, two thousand is the other year that the AP potentially made a bad call. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I should say in Florida, Florida in two thousand, and when I say potentially, I mean Arizona now. Right. Uh, which is to say, which is to say that AP called it early along with Fox. Yeah, and uh, 
Well, the reason the reason for the two of them calling it early together is because uh, I believe I believe this is correct that they're using the same um, data source. And we talked about this last week, you know, about recording and calling the elections. We talked about last right. week putting this stuff on the on the blockchain, and uh, it's interesting to me that that uh, so the AP results are going onto the blockchain. I think the so the first the first two results on the blockchain were Vermont for Biden and mm-hmm. uh, what was the first the first one they called for Trump as well probably Kentucky or Indiana I would guess yeah yeah or, yeah something like that so so these these results go onto the blockchain and um, we kind of or at least I I kind of crowed a bit about the the this this new thing that's that's being done with AP putting the putting the election results on the on the blockchain using using Chainlink oracles and. Uh, I guess talking about the the uh, integrity of of making this call, putting on the blockchain, and then um, claiming that the blockchain is uh, somehow superior in recording truth values about the world, right? Right. Uh, the problem the problem here, at least, is that you uh, this is well, this is the first time that this has ever been done. So uh, the problem here is that the AP is a single source of truth, right? Uh, and 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 this sort of harkens to the problem um, as well with what I would say is a widespread and systematic uh, malfunction, I guess you could say, of the truth. Uh, you know who's in, who's in charge of truth for the right, American sure. electorate or for for the American people, which is that um, you know the Nate Silvers of the world, the New York Times is of the world, the Washington Posts of the world. All were wrong, I think, in a uh, – how can I say this diplomatically? Um, wrong in a well, sort of systematic. massively yeah, – Yeah, systematically and, and wrong, not even close to what the, the reality of the situation is. Right. Yeah, and it, I think – you know, I mean, their, their comeback has been, um, well, we were right – uh, you know, they're they're saying, okay, well, Biden has won, okay, uh, and then they'll they'll say, so we we were right about that result, but I mean, you know, I I think that it's um, sort of ridiculous, and and you know, Philip Tetlock and his book uh, Super Forecasters or whatever is kind of an interesting read. Um, you know, it's more popularized than than technical, but you know, getting the magnitude right is uh, super important. You know, if if you're sort of just getting these are not just coin flips. I mean, you're you're saying, okay, we expect that he will win by this amount, and you know that has impl- a lot of implications. And you know, to just say, okay, well, we were right about the outcome. Even if you were right about the outcomes in the specific states, you were massively wrong about about the magnitudes. Um, and I think that it's ridiculous to hand wave that away. I mean, I, I'm curious about you know this this same thing that you're bringing up because it's it's that there are multiple sort of sources of truth, but you know also just the the importance of the media as a source of authority. Um, you know, and, and we see this in a lot of different ways, but. It was extremely curious to me, you know, uh, that, you know, Joe Biden at this point, you know, it's it's Saturday morning um, and uh, after the election. And what Joe Biden said is he said, you know, he will begin, um, you know, serving as a president elect once it's determined by the media, you know, once it's called by the media. And, you know, who, who are they? You know, what what is the media, first of all, um, and what gives them that kind of an authority? I mean, there was there was sort of a scandalous uh, tweet by uh, the New York Times um, in uh, on election day, I think, where they said that it was the job of the media to declare a winner, which is is absurd. I mean, that's not you know legally the case. You know, I mean, they they can project or they can sort of call elections, but they're not the ones that are are declaring a winner. But they have granted themselves this sort of um, you know place and this title, and because. That is, you know, still, even though there are different alternative places to get um, news and, you know, access to event, you know, news about events and things, you know, they really are um, the, the major arbiter uh, for people, um, for a certain, you know, large parts of the, the, the population. And at the same time, I mean, like the supposed democratizing counterbalance 
to this like mainstream media, so-called mainstream media, you know, in these like social media platforms like Facebook or Twitter are increasingly susceptible to the same sort of influences. And, you know, I think we could talk a lot about, you know, the things that, and without taking a certain partisan side, because I think that it can affect everybody from, you know, sort of uh, uh, Bernie in the Iowa caucuses, you know, about, a, you know, almost a year ago, you know, up to, uh, you know, what's going on with Trump now. I mean, like what uh, Twitter and social media is able to manipulate, you know, for to use a almost literal use of the term, I mean, just like really kind of like crafting and molding by hand uh, the, um, you know, the message that people are allowed to get to. I mean, I think that it's outrageous to censor anybody for the first thing, but that's kind of a libertarian impulse. But I mean, to, to really take out of the historical record what the president is saying, you know, saying that, oh, you know, this, this is not proven or, you know, this is whatever. First of all, you know, these are even things after the election. So whatever he's saying is not going to influence the results of the election. He's, he, and in many cases, it's statement of opinion, not even a fact, and it's still getting fact-checked. Um, and I think this is, you know, a, a really something that we really have to address seriously, you know, as as citizens or just as, as people, kind of what, what are the implications of this? You, you bring up censorship. Uh, how do we solve, how do we, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk today uh, 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 or, or hope that we can address at least some ideas, some ideas about solving a couple of problems. So we've got um, censorship, we've got potential of voter fraud, and there's something I want to, uh, there's something I want to talk about um, regarding voter fraud, which is first of all that uh, it seems that all of all of my friends to the left of me, uh, certainly to the left of center, believe that voter fraud is a non-issue in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that American elections are free and fair, and that no voter fraud ever happens. Uh, so I kind of like to talk about that, but also how we can. Um, uh, you know, get a few steps. Uh, clo- I don't take that position, right? I don't take the position that, right. that uh, there's no voter fraud in America. But so, if, if you take that position, what is what are some steps that you can take? Let's say, since th- th- you know this is the stack, we're going to talk, you know, technological and let's say governance governance um, steps that you can take to to solve those problems. But censorship, yeah. So so what we saw on Twitter. Uh, in particular, also on Facebook, I, I tweeted something out to the effect that if I if I share a joke meme with my mom and dad on Facebook privately, this is very specific. It, it's a joke that I'm sharing with my family. I have a I, my 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 Facebook is is private. I don't mm-hmm. share it publicly, and nothing on my Facebook is shared publicly. So if I share some you know joke meme about the election. My expectation now, uh, and this happens every time, is that I'm going to see some disclaimer under it saying that the, you know, the joke meme that I have shared has not been evaluated by, uh, you know, some expert right. <laughs> in uh, politics or security or whatever. Uh, so, so there's been no, what can I call it? There's been no Sanhedrin to sort of like come together and decide that my my joke tweet that I shared with my mom is is um, you know right. Correct, I suppose, and, and that's you know, a, that's this, even a uh, best case. That's a best case scenario, right? I mean, like uh, we've seen, um, you know, even with kind of the, the news that came out about Hunter Biden, which has been demonstrated yeah. as true. You know that you were not even able to transmit that, and not only publicly, but in private context, right? Um, at least on Twitter. I'm, I'm not on Facebook privately or not, and so I, I don't know. But you know, um, in that case. You, you simply weren't able to. There was no disclaimer or anything. It was just, you know, completely smothered. Right. So, um, I mean, obviously we have our, we have our sort of solution, um, at least for us. And it's, it's an imperfect solution, but uh, Urbic gets us a lot closer to what we want to do. The, but let's just say that any general solution to the problem has to be ownership of your own digital identity and the inability of anyone to censor to censor you in the sense that that it's coming from the top of some hierarchy, like you are right. a, a digital surf on on you know on Facebook, right? And right. your Facebook lords can can um, put some disclaimer on your own personal Facebook page that's not shared publicly with anybody, right? Um, 
Urbit and other and other technology like that. I just want to so so just to talk about how it's set up differently. In that situation, the way that the problem is, or that that some steps have been taken towards a solution to that problem is that you own a node on the network, and nobody has any capacity or ability to put any sort of disclaimer on that node or anything like that. Nothing like that can be done. So what can be done? What can be done if, let's let's say for instance that you don't like my content for some reason, politically or otherwise. In that scenario, if you have an Urbit or if you run a star, right, um, you can, let's well let's say that we're just talking about on the same layer of the network as me. You own a planet, you're a, an individual using that network. What your recourse there is is just to block me, right? You can't. You right. have no other recourse there, and that seems like a pretty good compromise. You have no way to shut me up, but you have a you know a way to shut me up from yourself, right? So you can't you can't like end run me with right. any other users. Yeah, I I mean I, I guess I would just add on to that. I mean um, you know there are also going to be evolving ways to for bad actors and good actors develop reputation, right? And so right, right, um, right. It will, there, there will be ways to preemptively secure yourself from some of this, you know, sort of bad actors. I mean, and there, there are different ways to address these issues. Um, but, but ultimately, I mean, it, yeah, it comes down to autonomy and you'll get to choose for yourself how you want to um, sort of sieve through what um, what can and cannot get to you. I mean, I mean, this is something that was promising about Twitter. Honestly, it's why I remain uh, a, a t- remained a Twitter user. You know, after I got off Facebook many years ago, was because there were ways, um, and you still can. It's imperfect, um, but to um, sort of curate exactly what you see. I mean, like you know, you kind of only see who you follow um, in a linear format, um, and everything like that. But I mean, it's, um, you know, now you've got this added complication of their sort of choosing what can and can't do and their deplatforming and everything like that. I mean, I think that, yeah, fundamentally uh, with Urbit, which is the alternative that I'm most familiar with, I don't know about Parlay or um, Gab or any of these these alternative platforms, you know, but, but in Urbit's case, it's, A, I mean, you own your own data, so you don't have any of the other complications like in um, with Facebook uh, and perhaps Twitter that, you know, anything that you have archived on it, you know, they have some kind of ownership over, you know, say your photos on Instagram or something. I don't know exactly how that works out legally, but, you know, in Urbit's case, you own it all because it's all on your own, your own thing. And then also, you know, you, you, you have the authority to sort of precisely block, mute, whatever. Um, and you're opting into groups. You can take yourself out of groups. You can do whatever, you know, you really want to do and you, you, you have autonomy over that. Okay, so the other um, thing that I think we need to address is, uh, regarding the election, that is, allegation, the allegation of rampant fraud in uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, at least. Possibly Georgia, Georgia yeah. Well. But I, I would say everywhere, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd for anybody to category state, whether you're from the left or the right, you know, and, and people will always, you know, sort of make claims at some point. It is absurd to make a universal statement that there is no fraud in elections, right? I mean, like people get arrested for this all the time. What again, I yeah. mean, it comes down to magnitude. It's like, you know, yeah, is there, an, was there enough systematic fraud to, um, you know, undo an election? And I would say typically there is not. But, you know, what do we have right now? I mean, you know, and we could do a whole episode on Corona, Corona Chan, coronavirus and everything because it's affected our lives in ways different than others have. But I mean, it's, um, you know, what is, I mean, even the New York Times wrote an article in 2012 that with increased postal voting uh, or absentee voting, that there is greater propensity of fraud. And that's that should be obvious to anybody who really sits down to think about it. I mean, the... What it, what is it when when criminal when when detectives are trying to solve a murder? You know, we always think about okay, what's the what's the motive? You know, that that's what you should look at. No, it's it's opportunity. Who had the chance to do it? You know, and that's that's how you you get down to it. And when you look at postal voting, you look at absentee ballots, um, especially in a year like this. There's it, it's ridiculous to say that there's not incredible opportunity to uh, defraud the system. Um, and it's additionally, 
Yeah, and it's also ridiculous not to say that there is not a great motive. Um, And, you know, I think we only want to tip up to this line of talking about kind of our own bias or my own bias, you know, so much. But, you know, if you've got for four years, um, and look, I didn't vote for Donald Trump in the primary. I'm not, you know, uncritical uh, supportive of his. But, you know, for four years, you've had people, you know, legitimately believing and making themselves believe that he's almost a Hitler-like figure, how many people do you need to have in these positions of county clerks or whatever, you know, vote returners who, who really believe that to think that they are really doing something good for history by preventing him from getting elected? That, that's not proof that it happened or anything like that. But I mean, it, I just think that it's Certainly, uh, compared to any year, this is a year when we really have to think about, okay, was there large scale fraud? Um, And then, you know, you can debate, okay, well, then it needs to be redressed in these sorts of ways. But I think, you know, as President Trump has said, and you can say that he's not actually believing this himself, but I'll say that I believe it, we need to address this so that it can never happen again you know, that, that the voting process has um, perfect integrity. And I think that, you know, um, that that's really the key thing. Yeah, I get um, uh, what, what, what I hear from, as I said, I think I, I just I said this earlier, but what I hear from friends say sort of uh, centers left of center is that uh, this just doesn't happen in America. That sort of thing doesn't happen in America, which to me is um, it, it's it's an odd thing to say because uh, America is um, so vastly different in its in its uh, let's say cultural makeup. Um, right. You take a place like like uh, Philly. If you take somebody who is from rural Georgia and move them out of rural Georgia, and uh, you know they, what they have with other rural Georgians is a very high uh, level of in group trust. And right. The same sure. is. You know, and and the 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 relationship w- or the understanding of what it is like to be a part of, let's say, Philly culture, or you know, Philly white culture, or Philly Asian culture, or Philly black culture. Um, I, I think that most people have no clue about this, and people who uh, America is at least a an historically, you know, uh, an Anglo culture, and the people who still are Anglo have this sort of um, assumption that uh, this cultural assumption of a high M in group trust. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard for me to, to to tell friends like this that this is not the case everywhere. It doesn't you know it's not uniformly the same everywhere in America. So the only thing that we can really do is say historically we've had uh, a good deal of cheating. And I don't even mean to say that this is this is any other group other than Anglos, uh, because certainly. You know, there are uh, if if I threw out, you know, for instance, the, the 1982 gubernatorial election in, you know, Chicago, Chicago, uh, that's Jim Thompson, big Jim Thompson versus Adlai right. Stevenson. Right. Right. Massive fraud there. 1987. Well, Tammany, Tammany Hall would be the same way. I mean, right, you know, right, yeah, right. There, there's there's lots of these things. I mean, I think, yeah, you, you bring up a really interesting point. It doesn't just uh, affect elections, but I mean, um you know, I, I see it where I live. Um, you know, I, I live near, uh, you know, one of the nation's preeminent universities, um, you know, and I know sort of, of people on the faculty there uh, that, you know, put they, they're, you know, relatively wealthy, say that, you know, they are on the faculty there, their, their spouses work for one of the, say, like a pretty good uh, healthcare company, I'll say. And they put their parents into, they're not Native American, uh, Native born Americans. Uh, and they put their parents into social housing, you know, um, for free. And like, that is, look, uh, they're, they're within the rights of the law to do that and to take advantage of this um, sort of uh, opportunity for free housing. But that's not something that uh, traditionally people in uh, New England uh, would would do right you know i mean they would say okay that is for you know people who you know really really need it and you would not take it uh you would not use that service unless you yourself needed it right and it's i think it goes to that um sort of uh, chemical reaction between uh high trust and low trust uh societies um and honestly i mean you can't necessarily you know judge them you know for taking advantage of it if legally they can but i mean it certainly is something that is is harder for people to comprehend if the incentive to cheat or 
you know, work around the system is there and you, well, possibly you don't, you don't expect to be caught or, or whatever. And, and in this situation, as you say, we've got this very heightened uh, rhetoric around Trump being, you know, literally Hitler, right? Right. Uh, for four years, the, the drumbeat of that. So I, my position is at least that the conditions are there. And the conditions are especially there in places like uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia would be my choice. Like if I, if somebody had asked me last month, where is cheating going to happen in America? Uh, you get one guess, you know. My guess would have been Philadelphia. And the reason is because there are currently three federal investigations for, you know, electoral fraud there. Sure. At quite high levels. There's one for, um, there's, a, uh, there's a judge... Uh, what's his uh, Demuro is current. He already pleaded guilty um, in March, and that was for electoral fraud. There's another one. What is it? Congressman? Oh, uh, Michael Michael Myers. I don't know if you know that name. Right. Falsification of records, um, bribery of an election official. This is a U.S. congressman yeah. in Philadelphia. And I just don't, this stuff doesn't make it into like sort of the the popular imagination, I suppose. Right. And then there's yeah. another one, there's another one currently ongoing as well, which is, uh, I think this is just September, um, the FBI informed one of the election officials that her office was throwing out military votes. Right. So, uh, yeah, and these are all, these are all just Philadelphia. So what I'm saying is that um, at the at the very least, there seems to be a... The, the idea in the popular American imagination that our voting is 100% secure and, and, you know, election or electoral fraud is is very low percentage or something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, and then you, you just kind of add in, um, you know, I'd say, yeah, for the, for the most part, I mean, even those cases that you're talking about, maybe it's, it's only, you know, kind of affects a few thousand votes or something, not that many, but I mean, uh, you were limited in what you could do, but then, you know, you add in this uh, really unusual situation where, you know, it's kind of open season where just, uh, you know, every almost everybody is voting by uh, a postal ballot, which philosophically I, I disagree with, um, you know, in general, because I think it violates the principle of kind of the Australian ballot and um, sort of secrecy and everything. But it's... Um, you know, yeah, I mean, and then you add on sort of the things that they sued to be able to do, like not have matching signatures, um, that they could uh, arrive for X number of days afterwards. Some of them weren't even signed at all, you know, so you just, you know, um, get into these. And look, I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an election lawyer by any means. Um, so we'll just sort of have to see how this plays out in the courts. But again, I mean, like, and I think you've looked at it more than I have. I think that we need to talk about you know, what, what are ways that, you know, technology or whatever could be used to make sure that this sort of thing does not, there is no opportunity to do it in the future. Okay. Well, let me ask you, what would be, what would be sort of your gold standard for a non, you know, or the closest thing we can get to a non fraudulent election right, uh, or a secure election? Yeah. And then I, I'll see if I can come up with the, the technological solution. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that, um, you know, the, the, the key principles uh, have to be that uh, every everybody who that they're everybody who is eligible to vote, which currently, uh, you know, in the United States, that's uh, any any adult uh, over the age of 18, except felons, um, depending on where you live, some places felons are allowed to vote. So every, everybody that meets that uh, eligible voter threshold um, has the opportunity to do so. And then uh, second of all, that um, they are able to do so secretly uh, where, you know, their, their actual vote is not known to anybody else. Um, and that we are also ensured that people are, uh, that the vote comes from that person who is, uh, you know, legally allowed to do so. So it's not cast by, by somebody else. So, you know, I mean, in, in these cases, uh, you know, that, that I think we're talking about, I mean, you have people who are not eligible to vote because they're dead. You know, we don't, there's no secrecy or whatever, because who knows? I mean, the chain of custody is so, so um, odd, ballot harvesting and everything like that. Um, and, and we're also not sure that the people who, who cast the vote 
you know, that it actually comes from them. So the, these are the, the three principles at, at, at a minimum that I think are very important um, and that have been violated in this case, and we need to have a system that allows those. Okay, so let me go through this really quickly. We need to be 18, alive. I mean, verifiably 18, veri- verifiably Eligible alive. to vote, yeah. Uh, eligible to vote. And uh, we need secrecy. Have I right. anything yeah. else? Uh, yeah, okay. and, and that it is the person, that it is coming from the person who is eligible to vote, yeah. Okay, so we need to make sure that the identity of the person who's voting is known and accurate. Right. All right. Right. Well, so I have, I've heard I've heard quite a lot, or uh, I've seen quite a lot floated on um, Twitter. And if you if you spend a lot of time in crypto Twitter, like I do, you you see everybody say something to the effect of, "If only we had done this election on the blockchain, this would not be a problem." Right. Uh, which is which is wrong. Um, and and I can I think I can prove that or or, or, or show that in a sort of simple way, which is like I said, um, if you have one source of truth uh, affirming something on the blockchain, and it is as you say um, or as you hinted earlier, uh, like with the with the AP, is that genuinely a an acceptable um, source of truth, right? Because in, in fact, the AP, despite the fact that they have become this source of truth for who the president is, they are not, in fact, right? The sort, the, the, the sort of epistem, epistemologically, it's, it's the electoral college, right? You, you hit the number right. of votes uh, of electors. And once the, num- you know, the, uh, the necessary number of votes from electors in the electoral college are hit, you um, are affirmed as the next president, right? So what you would want for that, at least, is a, a scenario where you could affirm that the vote came from an elector and then have a threshold, uh, which when that threshold was met, the um, new president's identity was written to the blockchain, right? Right. So that's, so that, that's sort of minimally what you need. You need to be able to identify the electors. You need to be able to um, uh, have not just well, they, they, they must in fact be electors right so you you would get rid of the the ap the ap right should only in my, in my opinion be able to say stuff like we we give this a 99% chance or something like right, that right right but nobody if if it were if it were me and i were you know if they made me god king of of america i would say that the uh you you wouldn't be able to put something in the news to the effect that you know donald trump or or joe biden is the next president but rather you could say something to the effect of, you know, it appears or uh, we have with a 99% certainty, right? Right. And the reason is because the reason is because Arizona. Now, Arizona may go to may go to Biden. I don't know. But what's quite clear about Arizona is that it was cold way, way, way too early. Right. Right. It was cold. It was cold so early, in fact, that I, I, I don't want to say this for, for sure, but you, you um, I do remember in 2016 the early calls on the East Coast could potentially have had some effect on voting in the West Coast, right? Yeah. So when they say, for instance, uh, you know, Donald Trump is the next president, well, if you're... No, I'm not saying this actually had any effect on the election. Yeah, I mean, this this was that. most most notorious in 2000 because they, they called Florida while the panhandle was still voting for an hour. So I think that was, um, right, right, right. you know, the, 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 a bigger deal because that that actually may have may have had an effect. You know, so everything that I said before about the plain intention of those who voted, we don't know how many people stayed home, you know, because for that last hour um, they were you know, sort of thought that the the race was over. Um, probably in Arizona, because I think it's Pacific, Pacific time, right? Um, it Or no, is it mountain? I can't remember. But it's, you know, in that kind of corner of the world. So this this was probably a little bit less of less of an issue. If I start talking about the, the voter, so what, what we're looking for is to ensure a few things about our voter. For one thing, I mean, the most important thing is that the person who's voting is who they say they are so we've identified them properly and as far as i can uh, ascertain and i'll probably you know one, one thing that i'll be talking about a lot on this podcast is chain link so it's going to probably be the other thing besides besides urbit that i talk the most about and the reason is because it is the only solution that i know of that does all the, the sort of gets the sort of real world data that we want onto the chain and so what you need is um, you need an ID system. You need a, a, an oracle 
that will take legacy ID information. And this could be from, it, it could actually be a combination of things that gives you a high, uh, a, an incredibly high um, confidence that the person you know is who they are. So when you take these things in totality, you say, okay, that this is this this is this person, right? But what it's probably going to be is taking legacy ID ID and um, using what's called DID or decentralized identification. And um, the reason I bring up a chain link is because they bought Candid C A N D I D. Mm which is uh, an, an RE Jules project. So they, they bought that, and what it does is it takes that legacy uh, information, and it uh, legacy ID information, and then there's um, like a concert of, of, of um, candid servers that, that affirm that whoever the person is actually is who they, they say they are. Right. So you get that. You, you get that aspect. You get a very you know, like high probability of that person being who they say they are. And then, you know, what you can do from there is you can you can actually have that person use that ID for a lot of things. So it's not just voting, but it's also for, um, you know, their banking or any, anything where the ID is necessary. Right. And you've got the Oracle in place um, that allows you to put this information onto the blockchain. So so the whole we, to, to connect it all together, you get the uh, you get the ID. ID is confirmed. You get they, they place their vote. And then uh, they, they place their, their vote um, and it is then transferred to the blockchain, right? And uh, I think that, again, if, if people are not very familiar with this technology, like what does the blockchain do? Um, it gives you a very uh, high confidence that, the, that whatever information you put on the blockchain is, is true, I suppose you could say. Right. What's well, a permanently a permanent multiply attested database, right? right. Um, right you know, right, so right. you know, yeah, you should you should have a, yeah high confidence that what is put there, you know, sort of re- reflects a reality. Yeah, but I think right. that the, you know the, the 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 problem that you'll we would run into in implementing this system, and you you, you may have more to kind of talk about it, but you know, you see it in. Uh, any kind of attempt to put in uh, voter ID laws, right? Where, you know, you, you and I, I, I voted in a number of states. The two that had voter ID laws were Connecticut and Georgia. And, you know, for some reason, they were more controversial in Georgia than, than in Connecticut. But the, um, you know, the, the, the thing is, is, you know, you, you just have a certain group of people that uh, become apoplectic if you have kind of any sort of, uh, rule or regulation to, you know, ensure this kind of identity thing. Uh, and, you know, I mean, their argument, I'm just, I'm kind of trying to um, present their position in good faith, even though I disagree with it. But I mean, like they say, well, this is a constitutional right and basically any uh, obstacle to it. So comparing it to the fact that you need to have an ID uh, in order to get onto an airplane or, you know, um do you know do some some other transact open a bank account or whatever you know that is irrelevant because this is a right that is guaranteed in the constitution um and you know i think that you would get the same sort of pushback from from anything that was even sort of like a digital id thing you know because your place their position is you cannot put any kind of burden on somebody trying to exercise their right to vote and i mean i obviously that is I don't even think I'm making a straw man of it. That's what they would say. But it's like, well, there's always some sort of an obstacle, right? I mean, you have to drive to the polling place. I mean, like, um, you you have to do do these things. I don't think that it's much to ask of a citizen to to you know present an ID, um, which is you know free to get for this reason, um, you know, to ensure it. And obviously, again, like it create it does create opportunity for fraud, if not even like an appearance of fraud. The fact that you're you're not doing this, and so. You know, I think any kind of attempt to do like a um, uh, a, a tokenized voting system, like a, a private key, public key, you know, which I think is very good because in that case, you know, I would with my private key be able to go on and anonymously make sure that I was able to, um, you know, ensure that I had gotten the right, uh, you know, my, my vote had been um, recorded correctly and everything like that. But um, in their case, 
you know, what they would say is, you know, well, you know, first of all, we have, you know, uh, certain communities that are, you know, impoverished or whatever and don't have um, access to technology. They've never even heard of this uh, blockchain. And so, you know, this imposing this sort of a system uh, really would be uh, unconstitutional. And, you know, I mean, this is just like, this is their deeply held belief. I mean, I think maybe our, our conversation, I think we've got an upcoming interview with somebody from the Urbit universe, whether he works with Talon or not, but, um, you know, who's very interested in these ideas of, you know, pillarization and communities with these, you know, very different beliefs and how they can coexist with each other or how technology can uh, allow you to kind of have free association with those with whom you ha share these beliefs and, you know, perhaps insulate yourself from others that um, are trying to influence, you know, unduly influence you um, and how you live. Yeah, I, I, I should have said as well, the, the other thing that you wanted in your sort of gold standard was the ability to be um, anonymous. So you, right. what you need is, as you say, you need to be identified, but anonymous. And the reason that I, I, I chose Candid in particular is because that is exactly what it is. It's, it's you, are, you are identified um, at, with, a, with a very high level of trust. And you are all, so any of the information that you share is, uh, you know, after your identification is is totally anonymous. And and as I said, the ID itself is is not is decentralized. So even even the the infrastructure for storing your ID and and for IDing you is not held in some uh, government database somewhere. It's it's uh, decentralized and and sort of personal in that way. So. Yeah, this this is why I think that that if you were you know if you were if you're honestly trying to get as close as possible to a gold standard, it would be something approximate to that. But like you say, the 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 problem there is is there's always this argument of um, you know put, putting too many roadblocks in some in, in front of somebody, and and at this point, I think it's genuinely disingenuous because yeah. The, the only the only real scenario or the only real part of that argument that makes uh, very much sense is actually getting to the polls uh, as you say IDs are cheap and, and it will be even cheaper and you know even cheaper on the uh, with the system that I outlined and in fact there's really nothing you have to do you know you just exist you know in the you you exist and and you have your your ID but yeah uh, so, so why the reason that I say it's, it's disingenuous is because that's sort of the only thing that um, uh, stands in anybody's way is actually getting to the poll. And uh, so w the reason I say it's, in, it's disingenuous is because I think that the noise is really clearly about something else, which is right. that which is that a certain a certain portion of the population finds it easy and civically that that it's part of their civic responsibility to get it done. But right. the, there's another there's another community, let's say that um, that is disinterested or finds it onerous or something like that to to get this done. So uh, and and that and the problem is that those two communities belong to different constituencies. Right. So uh, you know it's this is the this is what I mean when I say it's dis disingenuous. So what you have to do is say um, you know either. We're making a choice here. Either we have elections that are high trust or we get everybody or as close as everybody as possible to vote. And obviously, I think you and I probably fall in the camp that electoral integrity is is more important than getting everybody under the umbrella, I suppose. Right. Yeah, yeah I would agree. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, um, you know, Australia has the system where that, you know, it voting is compulsory uh you you can go into the ballot box and doodle something and throw it in i mean like you know you don't have to vote for somebody but you have to have you know gone through that performance of voting i don't i don't care for that i mean i think there's plenty of reasons you know not not to have to do that but yeah i mean i think that you know the the, the voting system if you're going to buy into the uh, argument of you know kind of democracy it it really it it needs to reflect the um the actual intentions of you know the people you know sort of however people is defined and however sort of um you know kind of majority levels and everything are defined you know and, and the, the interesting thing i mean i think that if you have these sort of um systems in place in theory you know you could do a lot more with um having high integrity uh because you know i i i'm 
I believe in subsidiarity. I believe that you know decisions are best made at the the lowest, most local level possible. And having these a high integrity system would allow you to do that a lot more. I mean, there are there are issues that affect my town more than they affect the state that I live in, and so it should be done at a town level. Um, and there should be ways for people to make their you know, sort of like this, and, 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 you know, the kind of individuals in the town can make that decision. And so that could be done more often. There are things that affect the state more than they affect the country. There are things that might affect, you know, the Northeast more than they affect other parts of the country, you know, so could we adapt this more into kind of a different uh, tiers of democracy than we're used to, you know, and especially as the country has gotten so, uh, the population is so overwhelmingly large at this point, compared to when, you know, kind of the, the load-bearing parts of the system were put into place, I think that you have to think more about um, these kind of uh, alternative solutions. It's not like, you know, when the member, number of members of Congress was basically set, when you almost had like a Dunbar number, you know, whatever, like 256 people, you know, kind of like feeding up into this. Um, you know, it's completely estranged. You know, a, a member of the House of Representatives is representing almost a million people. That That's not going to be a constituency. I mean, that's you know, uh, almost probably the size of the population of a state when the country was founded, right? You know, and so it's um, it's it's really become distorted, and we have to start thinking about different sort of um, processes. All right, let's let's get far out for a second. Then my last my last thing I want to get far out about is um, uh, moving moving governance moving governance away from uh, let's say legacy legacy governance. That's what we've mm-hmm. got, legacy governance into increasingly into the sphere of our favorite topic urbic or something like it um i think that 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 uh last week i I sort of briefly brought this up but um uh, i was talking about governance and and hopefully uh we'll be able to get someone on to talk about this just for a whole a whole podcast at some point but uh the Governance system there, as I said, is set up as an actual republic. And we, how can I say this nicely? We used to have one of those, sort of. But uh, the way that it's set up there is you've got, you've got this tier, you've got a, a real hierarchy of, of um, governance levels. At the very top, uh, in theory, and it, at the moment it hasn't been separated away from, from uh, Talon, the, the parent corporation, I guess you could say, or the, the corporation that's, that's developing Urban. Eventually, it will be le- legally separate, and the uh, well, urbit.org will be will be separate, and and there will be genuine governance happening from the people who actually own the land. So there's this there's this thing uh, that I keep seeing on Twitter, which is people vote, not land. Have you seen this mm-hmm. thing? It's it's uh, uh, you know a yeah, map sure. a map of yeah you know it, it's a map that changes from. Um, uh, the the land the land surface of America to where the people actually live. Like if you shift the map and you can see then that um, it's actually uh, you know most people are, are living on the northeast and and California and so on. And so the the argument there, and I think that this argument is is happening all the time, probably more on the left. But the argument is why do we why do we allow land to vote basically? Mm-hmm. We should be allowing people to vote, right? Urbit and other things like it. I, I say Urbit, but they're you know it's not not the only governance system like that. But but um, you know Urbit puts this puts this back in the sort of the way that uh, United States was conceived, which is that land votes or rather land owners vote, right? Right. Um, so actually, I guess I guess in a, in a way you're getting you're getting something that looks a lot more like what the founding fathers had in mind, which is, uh, you know, the electoral college, the, the, you sort of, um, bind the, the Midwest to the West coast and the East coast. You bind the communities together by forcing them to, to have a, a, a vote, uh, not proportionate necessarily to their, to their population. Right. Urban is another uh, sort of scenario. I talked about digital land. It's another situation there where um, you own a piece of land, and the only way—and this might this might be—there uh, uh, are probably a lot of people who find. Well, I think we already know that there are quite a lot of people who find this. Um, um, there are a lot of people who find that objectionable. Um, and the the reason is because it's com- You know, it's first come, first served, and whoever has right. whoever has enough money to to buy one of these things. 
you know, if, if, if you if you sort of got in early, you could get a Galaxy. And if, you, you know, if you had enough money and enough interest, well, we're still very early. So you could buy a star or three. And if the network takes off at some point, the, the governance system is going to be such that there's going to be, you know, four billion plus people who um, are using what I think is a fantastic system. But they're going to be at a level of having sort of narrow rights or mm-hmm. narrow, represent, narrow, narrow representation. Whereas what happened in America is, or what is happening in America is, people believe at least that they're supposed to be getting um, increasingly equal representation. Right. That that's the meme, right? I mean, like you know, and I think that would be a pretty pretty foreign concept, you know, kind of until, and you know, the yeah, I mean, this is obviously like opening up all sorts of um, different questions about equality and equity and everything, but you know, I mean, ultimately, I mean, even even at that planetary citizen level, I mean, you you will have a lot of autonomy, you know, because a planet can operate sort of its own sub network of moons and everything. You can run that however you you see fit, right? I mean, like, um, and you know, so if you want your system uh, operating within it, let's say, you know, you have your, your company operating or, you know, your, your town has, has a planet and then, you know, kind of every, every member of it is a moon or something, you know, I, other people who know more can, can talk about this, but you will by all means be able to, to do it um, as a, you know, so-called equal democracy. Will you be able to change the orbit contract, which is the canonical role of, of galaxies? No. But you know, it's is is it really even necessary for you to be able to do so? No, I don't. I, I would say no. So, it's um, you know, I, I think that you know the, the question people are going to have you know ways to kind of input that. I mean, just like countries ex- coexist alongside. I mean, the, the way that democracy is practiced in Canada is very different from how it is in the United States. It's very different than how it is certainly in in Latin America. You know, talking more, you know, because we have a little bit of an Asian bent. I mean, I can. I can certainly tell you democracy in Korea and uh, Taiwan and leave Hong Kong aside, but Korea and Taiwan and Japan is something that we would see as almost alien to what we are familiar with. Right. And so, though, you know, if they throw Trump in prison, we're becoming much more like Korea and Taiwan than before. Right. But I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I think that this this opens up a lot of different questions. Thanks for listening. If you want to talk to us about Urbit or any of the other things we talked about today, or if you want to see reading recommendations for today's podcast, please go to www.thestack.link. You can also find us on Twitter at thestack.link, all one word.